When it comes to any corporation, any business at all, you've got to have the right people for the right job. You wouldn't put a novice 19-year-old in a management position normally, nor would you put an older management guy in the mailroom. Well, the same is true when it comes to the church. We're looking at what it means to develop a healthy church out of the book of Titus. We would invite you to join us. This is Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. And again, we welcome you to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. For the past few Sundays, we've been spending a considerable amount of time here in the book of Titus. Today, we're taking a look at the older men and the older women, as well as the younger women, and the key roles that they play in a healthy church, and why we need to let them flourish in those roles. Won't you join us? Here's our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, with today's broadcast now of Graceful Truth. And then he begins to list for us here in verse 2 these different age groups that we talked about. And the first one is older men. And he says, older men should be godly as to attract others to the Savior. Well, let's look at these things quickly. First, first of all, older men are to be sober-minded or temperate. The word literally means not intoxicated by wine or strong drink. It also has the meaning of being kind of clear-headed. You're not, you're not fogged up with a bunch of other concerns and other cares. You, you're kind of able to spiritually discern what's important. It's a qualification for elders and, and deacons and deaconesses as well, deacons' wives. So we, we have to have this clear-headedness about us. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but the older you get, the foggier it gets. You know, I was just, my daughter called me yesterday, and she said, you were going to tell me something this morning, but I had to go. What was it? And I'm like, uh, did we talk this morning? She goes, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, okay. Um, well, you said it, was, it sounded like it was important. What was it? I said, I don't even remember our conversation. I'm sorry. You know, and that's how it is. But it's not so much being able to recall things, but it's just being able to have focus on certain things, not being fogged up with a bunch of other concerns. Secondly, older men are to be dignified, it says. The word means to be serious in purpose or to have a kind of a personal dignity that invites honor and respect. It doesn't mean you walk around, you know, I'm dignified, you know, all serious and gloomy and no sense of humor at all. It refers to someone really who lives in light of eternity. They know that very soon they're going to stand before their God. It's also used of deacons and deaconesses. Third thing, older men are to be self-controlled or sensible. This is a requirement also for elders, but it's also a requirement for all believers. It's listed in 1 Timothy 3.2, Titus 1.8, Titus 2.12. But Paul uses it here, and when he uses this word, he, he uses it for each age group. He doesn't just use it for one. He uses it for all. It can be translated in courage. It means to be balanced. It means to be under control. The sensible person isn't impulsive or given over to various passions going off in a million different directions. Not only self-controlled, but older men are to be sound in faith. As I said, sound means healthy. Older men should have a healthy faith in God that comes from their experience of a lifetime trusting God in practical matters. See, those are things that we can learn from our older folks. I remember talking to Al Swanson one day, and he said, oh boy, there's been, there's been days when we didn't know what was going to happen next. I mean, he, he went through the whole hard time with the, when there were, our country was going through such a struggle. 
Dust Bowl days and everything. And I remember thinking, wow, he's been through a lot. Sound in faith. Older men are also to be sound in love, it says. As you grow, rather than becoming more grouchy, hard to live with, you should be becoming more loving. See, sometimes we use our older age as, well, you know, I'm just older. You know, and hey, I get it. I mean, you know, the older you get, the more settled you become. How many of you are sitting in the same seat? You did last week. I mean, that's real simple, right? Most of you. That's just a, you know, it doesn't even really matter what age you are. It's just habit. We're creatures of habit. Some more than others. Remember in one church, there was one, one guy, he, he would never sit in the same place. Ever. And I just, I asked him one time, I said, why don't you, he said, ah, it's just a different perspective. You know, just the different, you know, certain people, you know, you kind of observe. Sometimes you sit in the back and, you know, you can see how people, you know, are, are addressing the message or if they're playing on the phone or if they're writing, whatever they're doing. Or sometimes if I don't want to be distracted, I'll sit right up front. It just depends. It's always hard to pin down. It's like, well, okay, where is he? You know, you're always looking for him. But it's supposed to be sound in faith, sound in love. Don't grow. Don't use your age as an excuse to become hard to live with. Rather than becoming more intolerant and hardened toward others, you should be becoming more gracious and compassionate. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ was. Look at the list in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Align yourself up with that. Older men are also to be sound in steadfastness or perseverance is the idea. See, older men should understand what it means to bear up under life's trials because they've already done it. They've already been through them. And they've seen the promises of God come to fruition in their lives. See, we can tap into that as younger men. I'm putting myself in that category. And, <laughs> and as we tap into that, that should be an encouragement to us. See, rather than just simply dropping out of the race, older men understand what it means to continue and endure by fixing their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're told in Hebrews chapter, one, verse, chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Older men who have these qualities will stand out in the world. And people will point to them and say, wow, there's something different about it. And that will draw them to the Savior. Well, now he addresses older women. Verse 3. Because they're also supposed to be examples of godliness. They're supposed to be training younger women in the household of faith. Godly older women have an important role to play in God's healthy body. The church. First of all, older women are to be reverent in behavior. Obviously, that word behavior points to their demeanor, but it also points to their inner character. They're to be reverent. Literally, it means suitable to a sacred person. It's referred to as someone who could be a priestess in a temple. The reverent woman fears God and and lives in his presence. It's a She has a healthy respect for the Lord. Older women are not to be slanderers, or some translations say malicious gossips. That word, it's a single word in the Greek for slanderers, and it's it's used 35 times of the devil himself. (laughs) It literally means to throw things at people. (laughs) See, a godly woman will not repeat damaging stories of others. She will not spread rumors or half-truths. That damage someone's reputation. Very clear. Older women are also are not to be enslaved to much wine. Kind of speaks for itself. But there's a connection there between the loose tongue and an intoxicating drink. 
I'm sure we've all seen the person at the party that had too much to drink. <laughs> they become an embarrassment to whoever they're with and to themselves. A woman who drinks too much will probably talk too much. And I've met some older people. The older they grow, it seems a little easier to have a drink and block the aches and pains, drown the loneliness of depression. Before long, they find themselves addicted to something. That's sin. We need to be relying on the Lord and experiencing the joy of his salvation. Fourthly, older, men are to, older women are to teach what is good. Older women are to teach what is good. That word good is often translated beautiful or attractive. Note that this is meant for older women, not Titus. They're to teach the younger women how to be truly beautiful, namely to be godly. The word encourage means to kind of make sensible. Younger women sometimes feel overwhelmed by the difficulties of rearing children, of keeping house, of trying to balance everything. Hopefully they don't look to Hollywood for their answers, but they find their answers in God's word. The older woman is there to come alongside them and help them think sensibly about the importance of their duties. It's especially important, even in our own church, as we see younger women coming to Christ having children, it's important to come alongside them, encourage them. Maybe they don't have that godly role model in a mother that some of us have had. We need to be aware of that. We minister to one another. I mean, we live in a society today that tells the women, oh, forget about your husbands, forget about your families, you go do your own thing, you find a career, you make a name for yourself. See, godly older women are there to talk some sense to them. Some of you older women have been married to the same man longer than some of us have been alive. You don't think that we can gain some wisdom from that? So don't feel left out. Now he changes and he goes, okay, younger women, older men, older women, younger women must be godly homemakers so the word of God will not be dishonored. That's what he says in verses 4 and 5. Many younger women have no understanding of how important the job of homemaking is. And a lot of them even lack the practical understanding and training to do it. I remember when I was in middle school, we had a certain uh, elective that we were allowed to take. And one of them was a uh, homemaking course. And I thought, so a couple of my friends like, this would be kind of cool, you know, it's probably going to be all full of girls, so let's sign up for this. So we did. Some guys thought we were nuts. But you know what? I'll never forget. I, to this day, I use what I learned in that, in that class. As silly as it was and wrong motives for me taking it, I can sew, sew a button on my jacket if it falls off. I can iron a pair of pants. I can cook a meal. A lot of things that I learned in that silly little class that I absorbed and see, here he's talking about younger women. They, they need to know how to do this kind of stuff. And it's important that the older women make the, the younger women sensible. Basically, in seven areas, it points out here, it says younger women are to love their husband. Now, that might sound kind of crazy, but that's, that's very real. I always tell a couple when they're getting married and they're going through the counseling and everything, Look, I understand, you know, this is the kind of the, the romantic time in your marriage. You know, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to look at the other person. And, what in the world? You know, what is going on? 
And you're going to have to choose to love that person because maybe that person in that moment, in that setting of an argument or whatever, it's not going to look very loving. Young women are to love their husbands. It takes deliberate effort because we know, guys, we're not always lovable. (laughs) So they need to work at that. Paul Paul uses that word here and he implies a true uh, friendship of love. It's not something, you know, romantic, kissy-facey kind of stuff. (laughs) We're talking about practical love relationship. And that husband and wife should always be cultivating a close companionship. And I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't come automatic. It's something I got to purpose myself to do. Over the years, you know, my, my wife and I, we have conversations now and then. And sometimes those conversations, you know, she'll say, well, I, I just don't feel we're, we're, we're close. I don't feel, you know, I don't feel loved. And I'm like, what do you mean? We're married. I mean, that's my answer, right? Uh, that went over like a lead balloon. That's why the women are laughing. The guys are going, yeah, I tried that too. It didn't work very well for me either. You know, no, that, it, it takes work. It takes time. It takes time to figure out, you know, what, what makes your wife t- tick? What, what, what pleases her? What is going to bless her? And usually it's not what we just think. You know, it's not the flowers when we come home from work. Here you go, dear. You know, they look at that and go, yeah, okay, whatever. Put them in the vase. Maybe it's, you know, getting the kids for bed an extra, an extra night so they don't have to. Maybe it's trying to get off of work a little early and coming home and saying, hey, you know what, honey, I'm just going to watch the kids for you. I know you need to have a list of things you had to do. Why don't you just go do that? Take the afternoon off. See, small little things like that speak love to our wives because naturally we're um, loving. But women need to, young women need to remind themselves, hey, I need to be loving my husband. And that love friendship really requires time to come together. The second thing, the younger women are to have love for their children. And you say, well, of course, that would come naturally. Well, not always. (laughs) When you have children and they're being disobedient and they're trying your patience, it's a very hard time. Because all of a sudden, as a mother, you're feeling certain feelings toward your children that you probably shouldn't be feeling. And so then all of a sudden, oh, I'm just unworthy as a mother. No, it's a very natural thing especially when they try your patience and they're being disobedient. But we need to be, young women need to be reminded, no, you need to love those children. I mean, if you discipline your, your children angrily, call them derogatory names, that's not just wrong. That's, that's really sinning before the Lord. Once again, go back to 1 Corinthians thirteen four to 7 Read those qualities over of true biblical love. It describes how we can relate to our children even. And that Greek word here also implies that love of friendship. See, hopefully, as your children grow older, younger mothers, you're always going to be your child's mother. But I pray that as your children grow older, that you can really cultivate a friendship with them. It's so important. Thirdly, the younger women are to be self-controlled or sensible. There's that word again. It means to be kind of in rational control over the impulses and passions. Younger women are to be pure. That refers to sexual purity. Watch. Be careful what you read. Be careful what you watch. A lot of women who get caught up in affairs, it's not so much the sexual side, it's more the emotional side. So a lot of women who've had emotional affairs with people just because 
they don't really have that kind of relationship with their husband. Their needs aren't being met, so they go somewhere else. Be careful of that. Young women are to be workers at home, it says. That sounds chauvinistic. It sounds sexist, but that's what God's word says. That's God's design and his wisdom. That's how he created us. See, no woman really gets, gets to the end of life and says, you know what, boy, I've, I've had a satisfying life as a corporate executive. <laughs> It's just not how we're geared. But when you see your family walking with God and loving one another, that truly brings joy. And you have to work to make your home a beautiful and a pleasant place for your family. It's not easy. It's difficult sometimes. The women are to be kind. Sixthly, it says there that literally the word is good, but it includes kindness. It means a nice person to be around. You know, the kind of of good woman that thinks of the needs of others and goes out of her way to meet those needs. Maybe when a family member or a, someone is upset or discouraged, they respond with sympathy and kind words. And then the seventh thing there points out that the younger women are to be subject to their own husbands. This is also totally out of sync with our modern American culture. But that's what the Word of God says. I mean, when it comes right down to it, ladies, you have a choice to make. Either you do this God's way or you do it your own way. You do it the world's way. The world's way basically asserts self. It stands up for one's rights. It demands others basically to, to uh, get your own way. It puts demands on others to get your own way. God's way finds and submits first to Jesus as Lord. It judges selfless selfishness and it seeks the good of others ahead of others, ahead of yourself. God's way is Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3, it says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. That's what we're called to be as Christians. But here he addresses that specifically to young women. I mean, God's way of submission really grates against our own fallen, selfish human nature. When we think of the word submission... Uh, it's not a good word in our culture. It doesn't imply a couple things. It does not imply inferiority at all. That's not what it's meant. And it doesn't imply that a woman becomes a doormat. It doesn't imply that at all. To be subject is really a military term in the original language. It basically says to put oneself in rank under another. That's all it means. See, even though Jesus was equal with the Father, he voluntarily put himself under the Father to carry out the divine plan of salvation. Not my will, but what? Yours be done, he says. Christian marriage is to reflect that image of God. Husbands and wives are to be that earthly picture of Christ and his church with husbands loving their wives sacrificially and wives respecting and submitting to their husbands. Ephesians 5. And the reason we want to do that he tells us right there in verse 5, so the word of God will not be dishonored. And that applies to all the qualities that he just listed, including submission. To be real honest, a wife who claims to be a Christian but who does not demonstrate love for her husband and her children, does not demonstrate moral purity, does not demonstrate being a godly homemaker, really it's not a good advertisement for the gospel. But a wife who practices these things stands out from the world's way. And people look at them and, you know, you've all heard the Proverbs 31 woman. Well, it says in that text that she will be praised 
And when she is praised, she will deflect the praise to the Lord, giving him glory. Fifth group here, younger men should be sensible, giving a, God, giving a godly, godly example so that others will be attracted to the Savior. In verse 6, he sums up the, the character qualities for young men in one word, self-controlled or sensible. And then he turns to Titus, who probably was a relatively young man at this point, and he shows them kind of examples of what it means. And so young, young men should be self-controlled, he says in verse 6, all things, in all things, in the original language, that little phrase, in all things, could, either, could go either with the preceding or the following. But stylistically, it goes with basically verse 6. Self-controlled is a, a word that Paul has used over and over again concerning elders, older men, older women. We've talked about that. It means to be sensible, have control over one's passions, And you know what? With that one single word, he really captures the main quality that young men need if they're to be godly. They need to be self-controlled. Young church leaders must set an example of godliness, Paul points out. Paul turns from the younger men and he kind of directs this portion of Scripture here right to Titus himself. He's probably in his 30s at this point, Titus. As we said earlier, there's no age limit here really set for elders. But the title itself kind of explains that they should have a few miles under their belts. You take uh, Charles Spurgeon, for example. He began as a pastor at the age of 17. (laughs) That's kind of crazy. That was two years after he was saved. Somehow he managed to set an example of godliness and sound doctrine even in his youth. I don't think I'd recommend somebody becoming a pastor at age 17. But Paul here lists four areas where Titus is to be an example. First of all, young church leaders must show themselves to be an example in good deeds. See, that stands in stark contrast to what Paul just exposed in verse 16. They profess to know God, these false teachers, but by their deeds they what? They deny him, being detestable, being disobedient and worthless for any good deed. We're not saved by our good deeds, amen? But we are saved on two good deeds. God has prepared beforehand deeds that we should be doing. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we kind of forget verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has even prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Good deeds are to be done in obedience with God's word out of love for him and for others. They include everything from listening to someone to praying for somebody, talking to somebody, maybe preparing a meal for someone, maybe visiting a shut-in or a family who's gone through a trial or a troubling time. See, God's healthy program for the church begins when we repent of our sins and we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you haven't started yet, you can. You can start this morning by turning your heart to Christ, recognizing your need of a Savior. He's there longing for you to put your faith, your trust in Him. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. 
It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.